Let's pray together. Father, that the hymn we have just sung might be the very theme and practice of our home and our life. What a wonderful and beautiful plan you have had for us. You gave it to Adam and Eve, and you have given it to each of us. And yet, dear God, it's not been realized in the way you'd like it to be realized. I pray for us, Lord. I pray that we might have your mind, that we might understand precisely what you intend in this life, and that under the power of your Holy Spirit we might live day by day, striving as best we can to discard those things that are contrary to your plan and to enjoy you and that plan all the days of our life. I ask you to forgive us, Lord. Sometimes, quite intentionally, we turn from that plan and demand the desires of our own heart, knowing that they are often contrary to what you will for us. I ask you to forgive us, Lord, for the damage that we do to our mate and the damage that we do to our own children and those who observe us. I ask you to forgive us, Lord. We have rebellious spirits, and you ask for us to get them under control and to surrender to you anew. And you promise, dear God, through the shed blood of your son Jesus, that any sin and all sin of our life can and will be forgiven, washed away by his blood, made into new people, with a new opportunity again this very moment to be surrendered to you and to say, Lord, we'd like you to lead our life and really be the Lord of our life. Father, help that to be in each one of our hearts this morning. And help us to call out individually and say, Father, please help me. Help me to be the man and the woman that you want us to be. Interesting times you allow us to live in, Lord. When we were born, you knew that we would come into this world at this particular time, given the parents we have and the families that we have. You gave us the opportunities and the talents and the abilities that we have. And forgive us, Lord, when we take credit for all that. For those are gifts from you. And then the gift above all gifts, when you called us into a saving relationship. That this life would not be the end for us. But through the atoning and sacrificial death. When Jesus took our place and died for our sins, that we might live for eternity. What a gracious God. Constantly doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Loving us, and encouraging us, and persevering with us, and wanting the very best for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your heart. 
And thank you that you never change your mind, that you continue to love us and encourage us. Father, it's a wonderful thing that you're doing in our midst. Most of us are quite keenly aware that you are in this place, that you're moving in our lives and that you're speaking to us, and that you have a plan for all of that. Just as you have a plan for us living in a time that is a very difficult time spiritually in our country. None of that's by accident, Father. And you're prepared to walk with us and to help us and to teach us. And you're prepared to help us succeed. I thank you for blessing our church. I thank you for blessing the Bible teaching churches here and all around the world. I pray for their leadership. I pray for their pastors and for their spiritual leaders among the laity. And just pray, dear God, that you'd continue to raise up men and women who would speak the truth and seek to live by it. The challenges of our day are great. They're telling us that we no longer have a voice in our own country that nobody's listening to those of us who are believers. Thank you, Lord, that it's not up to us. And all things are possible with you. Bless your church, I pray, Father. And bless us who are a part of this church that we might reach out and be a witness. I'm mindful every day, Lord, that when we come together to worship We bring all sorts of problems and challenges and things that would do us in. And as we sit in the silence of this place, all of those problems and challenges are still with us. But I ask you to help us do something with them, Lord. Help us to see you in the midst of those human situations. Help us to know that you're mightily at work. And we're not facing these things by ourselves. Help us, dear God, to know that your love extends into the very functional and practical parts of our life. And help us to rely on you. I know some, dear God, have struggles both personally and with people they love about medical things. Others about jobs. Others just purely about finance. There are all sorts of things that the adversary would use to try to cause us not to trust and not to keep our focus on you. I pray that our time together today, among other things that you do, would help us be refocused and know that we have a God who dwells in us through his Holy Spirit that is far greater than the one who's in this world and that you're going to take care of us. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the multiple blessings of our life. Thank you for the future days that you have planned for us as we walk in your spirit and sense your presence. Thank you, dear Father, in the precious name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus.
Amen. Incidentally, um, Presbyterians, it's okay if you say amen. Just thought I'd mention that to you. You know, when I'm praying or someone else is praying for you corporately, it's a healthy thing in your own mind of minds. When you hear something that really resonates with you, say, yes, Lord. Please say it to yourself, but say, yes, Lord. And be a part of that prayer time and let it unfold for you. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles with me to Ephesians, the fifth chapter. To Ephesians, the fifth chapter. We're going to start with the 21st verse, and we're going to study through the 24th. Ephesians 5, 21 through 24. Ephesians, the fifth chapter, starting with the 21st verse. You notice I'm starting at the end of what looks like a section, and I'm taking that verse and I'm putting it with the verses that follow. Don't forget that for most of our history of our church, there were no chapters and no verses. Paul loved run-on sentences. So what we're reading is not out of context, it's actually in context. Let's get some help before we do this. Let's pray. Very humbly, on behalf of all of us, I come to you, Father. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would now give us a whole new opportunity to read what maybe we've heard before, what maybe we've never heard before in our life. But that you would so open it up for us that we could see the application in our own personal lives. And that you, dear God, would tear down any walls that we might have already built up. That we might be able to hear you. And know that this is for us. Thanks for visiting with us. And thank you for what you're about to say to us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. In my pastoral prayer, I made a comment about God knowing that... We were going to live in these times, interesting times. Life's gotten a whole lot more complex, and things are happening so much faster today than in my father's generation, and certainly in his father's generation. One of the things that's happening very rapidly, and there's every indication it's going to continue to accelerate, is the upheaval in our culture. Things that have been traditionally held by Christians are no longer the norm in this country. I know, and I trust you know, that there are a lot of folks who aren't listening to us today. O'Reilly this past week, and I'm not advocating you listen to O'Reilly, Fox News does not pay me a commission. He made a comment that's very disconcerting. He rebuked another radio host and told her that because she wanted to introduce, and these are my words, biblical concepts into the conversation in our nation, that that was inappropriate. 
And then he said something I think is true. He said, nobody's listening anyway. And that is so true of so many people. So you and I live in a time when things are in flux and change and the direction is not a good direction. I want to give you one example. And there are many I could give you. The example comes from the family. The family is fundamental to the health of a culture. Today, so many people have premarital sex, which is satisfying a personal desire in an absolute contradiction to the teaching of Scripture. Let there be no question about that. Over 40% of the live births that now take place in our country take place with folks who are not married to each other. And you can start to imagine how many are not live births for those same people because they abort those children. So living out of wedlock together has a dramatic effect on our culture. It's also an interesting statistic, and this has been a statistic for a number of years, at least three decades. And that is, if you live together before you get married, you're much more likely to get a divorce after you get married. Isn't that a fascinating statistic? I don't understand that. I have never understood it, and I've thought a lot about it. Other than to say, God's not happy with that situation. If you look at the family today, we have so many people who are cohabitating together and then get married, and then, because it's more likely, they get a divorce. I have been watching statistically for about three decades now as the divorce rate in our country has grown almost geometrically. It's as high with Christians and non-Christians. There's no distinction. That shouldn't be the case. You and I ought to be different. And when we're not different, we need to go home and sit down and figure out what's going on in our personal life. Particularly those of us who are Bible-believing people who are part of the evangelic church. And I know as I approach this passage that many of you have gone through some of the things I'm talking about. There are those who have gotten into a homosexual lifestyle. read an article just recently that said 10% of our population. It's growing. The barriers are being torn down. One state after another is now allowing men to marry men and women to marry women. And we are being told that they need the exercise of their own desires so they can realize who they are as people. And I would suggest to you, you begin to realize who you are as a person when you conform your thinking and your life to this Bible not when you take control of your own life and do things that are unbiblical.
Some of the things I'm going to say this morning are going to bother you. If they don't, there's something wrong. They bother me. I've asked our elders to pray for me this morning. I, I ask you all to do that repeatedly, but particularly this morning. The reason I think that it, they're going to bother you is that it used to be that what I'm about to say was the norm in our country. It is no longer the norm. And so many believers in Christ are living lives contrary to the teaching of Scripture that it comes as an affrontal when we begin to hear this. I want to give you a disclaimer. One of the disclaimers is my brother and I, my brother was nine and a half years older than I am. He's deceased now, and by God's grace, he's with Jesus, and I find that to be a wonderful miracle. He came to faith when he was 70 years old. And he put his foot to the floor and got licensed as a Baptist preacher. And he wrote a couple of books on Christianity, which I don't necessarily recommend to you. (laughs) He taught in a lot of Baptist churches up in the northern part of South Carolina, and he preached on a few occasions. And he died five years later. He did all that in a five-year period. And I became convinced that my big brother knew Jesus. My big brother was my half-brother. Back in the early 1930s, my mom divorced her first husband on non-biblical grounds. My brother is the product of that first marriage. Ten years later, virtually, my mom and my dad got married, and here I am. Same mama, different daddies. And I'm not going to go into any of this at this time, but I want you to know something. There are consequences that both my brother and I have experienced as a result of what mom did. There are always consequences when we don't do what this book teaches. And if you want to argue that point and say, oh, it's okay, we had a peaceful divorce, our children didn't get hurt, baloney. I don't believe that. We have too much dysfunctionality in our society today to say that that's true. So what I want to do this morning is I want to mention some things that we need to make radical changes in. Not all of us, but maybe all of us. We need to influence our children. We need to influence our grandchildren. We need to influence people who come in contact with us. And we need to tell them the truth in a loving and gracious way. Do you understand my intention this morning? I want to be loving and gracious and I want to tell you the truth. And I want to do that so you're equipped to tell other people. And so it will influence your life. I want you to look with me at the passage. Ephesians, the fifth chapter, and I'm going to start with the 21st verse. Listen very carefully as God speaks. He says to us, And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the Savior of the body. 
But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Very quickly, I want to say next week I'm going to talk to the men. (laughs) Just trying to level this playing field a little bit. And my wife's already told me what to say, so... I want you to look at the 21st verse. I want you to look at three words or phrases. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. The word subject. There are lots of folks that like to see that word just erased, delete, and get it out of our Bible. They don't want to be subject to anybody or to anything. And here the Lord says, I want you to be subject to one another. Do you know where that word subject comes from? It has an interesting history. The Greek word was used primarily by the Roman legionnaires. And if you go back through that historical trail, you'll find that's where it's raised up as a word that everybody ought to know. Roman legion would march into a city or a city-state or into a country And they'd do battle with them. They would overcome them. They'd overpower them. They'd take away their weapons. And then the commanding officer of the Roman legion would say to his field commanders, I want you to go out and I want you to pick out among our enemies those who are the most courageous and can still walk. And I want you to bring them to me. They'd gather those commanding officers and brave soldiers who'd just gotten through being in battle with them And when they would come to the commander of the Roman legion, he would say, I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to give you an opportunity to join our legion with the following conditions. Number one, and most importantly, you have to be willing to subject yourself, there's a word, to the emperor of the Roman Empire and consider him to be God. A willing surrendering, not forced on him. And that's key in the word. Secondly, the commander of the Roman legion would say, and you have to be willing to leave home because you'll never live here again. You'll serve someplace else. Thirdly, you'll have a really good life as a privileged Roman citizen. So, what does the word subject mean? It means to willingly put yourself under the authority of somebody else. And what Paul is saying to us is, wives, you are to be subject to your husbands. Husbands, you're to be subject to your wife. The latter part of that is almost always excluded when you hear subjection talked about. A man and a woman are both to be subject to each other, but in very different ways in some instances. We have different functions, different roles. God has made us differently. So I am to be subject to Linda, Linda to myself, and we're to live a life figuring out how that subjection works. But it is not forced on us. It is offered to us, and God wants us to surrender. He says to us in that verse, I want you to be subject to one another. And when I read that one another, I I think to myself, 
He wants us to make a distinction. He wants us to look at our spouse as somebody that God has given us. And that God has an intention with that spouse. And for us to realize that intention, we both need to surrender. And he says to us in that verse, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. I never quite understood why those who did the original translations used the word fear. What they mean is when you stand in awe of God, when you've gotten to know him and you're so overwhelmed by who he is and what he wills for us and what he's done for us that you say, I want to respond and I want to make God happy. And the way I'm going to make him happy is when I get out of bed in the morning, I'm going to say, Lord, here I am. This is your day. Lead me. And you seek to allow him to be the Lord of your life every day, one day at a time. And you do that out of fear. You do that because he's an awesome God. Now, sitting at my desk as I was working on this sermon, a reality popped through my head. So I want to stop just a moment. I hope some, a lot of realities did, but one particular one. If you're sitting here today and you listen to this sermon and you're not a born-again Christian, something's going to be missing in the translation, and you're not going to get it all. There are going to be some filters in place that come out of our sin nature. So I want to invite you to just stop and think for a moment. If you have never had a personal relationship with Jesus, if you haven't come to know God personally through Jesus, then I want you to consider inviting him to be your Lord and Savior today. And what that means is coming to terms in part with the reality that you were born into this world a sinner just like I was. You're born into this world with dark hair that doesn't stay that color, with a really good-looking body that has a way of changing. Have any of you noticed that? But you're born into this world looking like you look and like you will look, but sin is a part of you from the get-go. And it's true of every one of us. When the Holy Spirit comes on us and regenerates us because we're spiritually dead when we're born and we then realize it's like looking in a mirror that we are not what God intended that sin has so corrupted our thinking and our being that there's no hope for us ever overcoming that by ourselves and ever being united with God for eternity it can't happen unless the spirit quickens you And through the gift of faith, brings you into a personal relationship. And when that personal relationship happens, that sin, which is so dividing, eternally dividing, that sin is washed away. That wall is torn down. And at the moment you die, Jesus embraces you. Never to fear death for we shall live again. Now, if that hadn't been your experience and you're hearing with ears today because God's giving you the ability to hear, I encourage you, sitting right where you are in your own mind of minds, 
call out and say, Jesus, I'd like you to be my Savior. You'll hear the rest of this sermon very differently. He says that we're to love each other and be subject to each other out of reverence for Christ. You have a reverence for Christ when you realize what he's done for you. Look at the next verse. 22nd verse says, Wives, be subject, there's that word again, to your own husbands as to the Lord. Distinction. Bible teaches that we're to be, and you're not going to like this, subject to our bosses. That's not the world we're living in today. We're to be subject to the authorities that God's put over us from the president of this country all the way down to local authorities, to the police, to school teachers, to parents. And that whole authority chain has been so distorted in our day. And what he's saying to us is, I want you to be subject to your own husband. And he's saying, and particularly when you look at that line of authority, the relationship of the wife to the husband is uniquely embraced by that concept. So of all people that a wife should be subject to more than anybody else, it should be the husband. Now, being the nice guys that we are and always thinking about our wives and always wanting to do well for them, why are you fellows smiling? It's always easy for a wife to be subject to her husband, isn't it? Well, you don't do it based on performance. You know why you do it? Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. This is a spiritual issue for wives. It's not a performance issue because of the husband. It is a vertical relationship between the woman who becomes a wife and her God. And her God, your God, is saying to you, here's how I want you to live your life. And I don't want you to rationalize it away. I don't want you to make excuses. I want you to hear very clearly Wives, be subject to your own husbands as you are subject to me. So hear it loud and clear. It's a spiritual issue. If you look on down at the next verse, it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. You know, I read those words and I I think about the kind of distortions that have taken place There are a lot of male chauvinists as one extreme and a lot of radical feminists as another extreme and both of those are terribly wrong. That's not what God intended. Certainly not for marriage, but he didn't intend it for any relationship. I've always been fascinated if you watch a movie, particularly older movies, but even in newer ones, and you see a preacher standing and he's performing a a wedding, you know what he says to the couple? So often... I've only heard one exception in years. He looks at the couple and he says, I pronounce you man and I pronounce you wife. I call you by your gender. 
I call you by your function. That is so wrong. But that just permeates our whole society. So what's happened is the role of the man and the role of the woman have been distorted by sin. And you can hear it being advocated all around us. And you and I need to rethink that and say, well, how do I get to where God wants me to be and not be so repelled by what our society has done? And the way is you keep looking at your relationship with the Lord and saying, I want to be who the Lord wants me to be. First Peter 3, 1 and 2 says to us in a beautiful way, Wives, be subject to your husbands. Because if you'll be, this is a Barton paraphrase, if you will be subject to your husband in the quietness of your subjection, you're going to make room for him to change. Well, the antithesis of that is equally true. If you're not subject to your husband, and if you don't allow him to be the head of your family by encouraging him to do that, instead, if you're resistive, he's not going to listen to you. He's going to be at war with you. My testimony, and I said it early on in my time with you, I got married, thought I was a Christian, went to church every Sunday, taught Sunday school, Lord forbid. I didn't know Jesus. My wife did. My wife never badgered me. She never fussed at me. Instead, she gave an example that just spoke volumes to me. And that example is what Peter's talking about. She opened the doors for me to gracefully come into a relationship with Jesus when the Holy Spirit moved. And there was no resistance. Because when it started to happen, and I remember the moment, because I was in my early 30s, guess who I went to? I went right straight to Linda and said, let's talk about all that again. And she had told me over and over when I had asked her, and I couldn't hear. Now I can hear. I go to the one who set an example for me. And that's how Christ won me over. The same thing happens in your life. If you don't like what your husband's doing or you object to something that he does, tell him in a civil and loving way. And if he doesn't respond, be subject to him and love him. Be a role model for him. And that love will absolutely tear our heart down to where it's pliable. And it causes us to be able to hear when God speaks. It's such an important thing, and I've personally experienced it, and I commend it to every woman here. It's the way to be used by God. It's interesting that if you look at that and start to just press it on a little bit, if you don't allow your husband to be head of the house, and you may justify that by saying, I'm smarter than he is. I'm pretty sure that's true in some cases. Or you may say, well, I have more experience. That may be true, too. But the Bible says, encourage him to be the head of your family. If you don't do that, some really drastic things happen. Either 
he steps out of his role, which is a God-ordained role as head of the family, and you take his place, and nothing good will come out of that. You will either break him, and you don't want to have a broken husband, or you will create resentment, and you'll have to live with that resentment, and that is a terrible resentment, or he won't be there. That's not justifiable divorce, but it is often the case. So the consequences of not doing what Scripture teaches are dire consequences. How did we get to have such a dysfunctional society? I hope you realize how dysfunctional it is. We can see the extremes when people do horrid things to other people, shoot groups of people in theaters, go on to college campuses or office buildings and hurt people. That's the extreme. But there is an unrest in our society where people are pushing against each other and are very angry. If you take a person, and I've taught this at the seminary level with students who are becoming ministers and missionaries, if they're from a dysfunctional home and they get into our vocation, As the pressure is applied, their dysfunctionality comes to the surface. And nothing good comes for their church or their mission field or their family or anybody else when that dysfunctionality pops up. Where did all that dysfunctionality come from? It came out of our homes. It came out of our homes where our children were raised not seeing mom and dad submissive and subject to God and to his word. It comes out of our homes when they see moms and dads at war with each other. And that is not what God ordained, and we are doing something wrong individually when that happens. We want to do something about the dysfunctionality in our society? Let it start in your home and in my home. Don't you worry about your neighbor first. Worry about yourself. And be a responsible believer and do what the scriptures teach. And ladies, you want your husband to be head of house. You want him to. Because that's what God ordained. Doesn't mean you don't have a voice. A wise man will ask his wife's advice as I often do. Not because I'm wise. I've just learned that's the thing to do. Because Linda has... Linda has a whole different perspective. And when I take her perspective and my perspective and integrate them, we come pretty close to figuring out what God wants us to do. Have you learned that? So it's not being disenfranchised by your spouse being the head of the family. It's doing it the way God wants it done. And then you and I can start to make a difference in what's going on in this country. But unless we get our own homes under control, that's not going to happen. We have been a negative witness, not a positive witness. So something needs to change. When you get down to the 23rd verse, it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. And 24, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. 
really interesting in the Greek. It doesn't say wives must be. It doesn't say wives will be. It says wives ought. Some translations say might. Some translations say should. So you see what God is saying. He's saying, ladies, I'm going to give you enough free will to get yourselves in trouble. I want you to do this willingly. I want you to do this because I want it for you and because it will work. So as you start to discipline yourself and allow your husband to be the man God wants him to be, something good will come from that. There's another word in that verse, that 24th verse. It says, in everything. I want to put a little asterisk. Now, I can't revise scripture. I want to put a little asterisk and say, read this comment. In everything that is biblical, I am to do and you are to do the biblical response to what goes on with the laws of this land. But if there's a law of this land that is contrary to the teaching of our Bible, I am compelled not to do it. And I may have to suffer the consequences, but I'm not going to do something that is contrary to what our God teaches we ought to do. In the marriage, if the husband asks the wife to do something that is contrary to the teaching of Scripture, the wife, in a gracious way, should say, let me show you in the Bible. I can't do that. And if you have to suffer the consequence, suffer the consequence. So you're to be subject in everything except those things that are not in biblical. On one occasion, my wife and I were having a discussion. We occasionally have discussions. And I was using my pulpit voice. You understand? And suddenly her whole demeanor changed. And I stopped and I said, what's going on? She said, well, if you keep doing this, I want you to know that God's not going to listen to your prayers because I read that in here. It does say that. You know what I responded with? It's not fair to get him on your side. (laughs) You know the next thing that happened? I smiled and we changed the topic because she was right. We need to be doing what God wants us to do. And if we're not doing that and our loved one, out of compassion for us and caring about us spiritually, points it out, we need to gracefully change the direction and do what God wants us to do. Folks, the church in our country has become almost muted. We've got to speak out. I don't know if we're going to change the direction of our country, but I know you and I are compelled to do what this book says. And maybe one of the benefits of that will be that we'll see this cultural upheaval come to rest and we'll get some sanity back in our country but it starts with you and it starts with me do you understand how much God must love us to say hey don't go where you're going let me give you a far better way to live let's pray together
Father, it's so easy for us to not hear you speak to us in Scripture and to listen to the loud voice all around us, and sometimes even the loud voice inside of us. I pray for us, Lord. Pray for myself and for my family, and I pray for all of us in our church. That when we get loud and pushy, that we'd know that we're operating pretty much under our own power. And that's not what you want. You want us to be, first of all, subject to you, and then subject to our spouse, and then to others. And for us to put our trust in you. Lord, as we come to this table today, we're putting our trust in you again because you have already demonstrated for us that you love us and that you're trustworthy. I ask you, Father, to set these elements aside that they might minister to us that they might be used by your Holy Spirit to engraft us to you. Bless this special time, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. I sat and read through these words again as I do each time in preparation for communion, and I hope that they touch